Hello, hello, and welcome to 2024. I'm your host, Ruth Dell, and you're listening to the Behaviour Change Marketing Bootcamp podcast. Now, I definitely do not engage in any of the New Year conversations on LinkedIn and Twitter. In fact, we're not really on Twitter anymore, but definitely on LinkedIn because there's loads of stuff that goes around from behavioural scientists about it's the fresh start effect and how we're all going to fail. And if you don't want to fail, you've got to build this habit loop and you've got to get rewards and you've got to know your triggers and... Well, I just don't care. It is the one time of the year I do not care about behavioural science because I absolutely love planning New Year's resolutions. And this year has been a bit of a disaster, really. No one wanted to do it with me. So for many, many years, me and my kids, we would actually write down our New Year's resolutions. And if we could bring in some friends, we'd do it with them too. And then guess who's is who. And then have some fun with it and then hold each other accountable. And yes, maybe it trailed off, maybe it didn't. But we had such a happy time doing it. Now, my kids are older. They don't want to play with me. And also my friends were like, nah, not this year. Literally everyone I asked was not doing resolutions. My youngest son, Henry, was in a panto, 10 performances. He was amazing. And I, of course, was the chaperone sitting in this dark, damp cellar. (laughs) Yeah, that was my Christmas and New Year. (laughs) It was a tremendous one and they were all amazing. But everyone I was asking in the hope, just this glimmer of hope from a little voice in the corner, is anyone setting New Year's resolutions this year? Just so I could really talk about myself, really talk about mine and, you know, have some fun with it all. No, that's all I got. No. So I set my own anyway. So I'm ignoring everything. And I know it's the fresh start effect. And I'm hoping you guys do too. And in my head, I went, I must tell everyone about how this relates to East and timeliness. (laughs) Because remember, in your East framework, you've got the T for timeliness. So looking at fresh starts as triggers and people's pathways is very important, very effective. Birthdays, anniversary, new year, but also within your service, what's relevant to your area, any fresh starts you can get there. It's powerful stuff. So yes, trainer in me goes, must remind everyone, it's really important. But I just didn't want to be not enjoying my New Year's resolutions. I probably have about 18, I reckon, which is absolutely ridiculous. I also absolutely love new planners and I love wall calendars and I love new diaries and I love that smell when I open it and I love choosing which pen I'm going to use on it. And I get really upset if I've written something incorrectly when it's, you know, brand new and beautiful before it's been destroyed in my bag. So yeah, I've been busily doing that. So we are cheating for today. Our very first episode is a thank you to our Rebecca Roberts, our friend and colleague, because she put it all together. Rebecca is a youth specialist. She founded Thread and Fable Youth Marketing Agency and also runs the Hear It podcast. And Rebecca and I are teaming up to run a, well, a behavior change marketing bootcamp special in higher ed and further ed. So it is for marketing and comms pros who are delivering the higher ed and further ed agenda. Welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Roberts, and I'll be speaking with guests about the campaigns, insights and ideas to better engage youth audiences. I really hope you like it. This episode of the Hear It podcast, I'm joined for a special with Ruth Dale and Nathan Monk. I was really interested to talk about something Ruth and I have got coming up around higher education and behaviour science, and also thinking of you at Smile and Prospectus Plus, it kind of fit fit a lot of themes around why kind of viewing students as like one massive big group that never change is just basically a massive risk 
we got together because Rebecca and I's paths keep crossing because she has a natural tendency to really focus and take marketing to the next level. And I train people in how to use behavioral science in marketing. So how to develop the target audience insight upfront um, in order to be able to um, be much more effective, to resonate, but to shift from simply raising awareness where nothing happens to actually um, getting your audience to take an action. Or um, in my case, we call it behavior change. Um, and I've been lately, I've been calling it asking your audience to make a decision because behavior change means people can get very waffly, you know, you can stay very high level, very policy based. And as we were chatting, our problems in our sectors are so similar. Everyone stays um, with the one great big group of people. So the target audience, we say, if your target audience is described by a noun, it is not a target audience. So, you know, students, <laughs> I mean, that's like nothing, is it? It's like patients, residents, but there's this great fear to segmenting. And there's a lack of understanding from people outside of the marketing and comms discipline in why it's actually so important. And the joy of behavioral science is it can really equip people with how to have those conversations with the senior leads and the academics and people. It shows you actually you can be doing more damage. So if you've got any personal investment or you're trying to help people, which I think in the education sector, isn't it? It's all about social mobility, giving people opportunity. Actually, you can be doing damage, which people do care about. They mm. are there generally in our sectors. They're there to help people. So we got together and we've been plotting and planning behind the scenes to run. We are training is called Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp. And so we're going to be talking about doing a very specialised focus one for the FE and HE sector. Very cool. Worlds collide because you've both been guests on the Hear It podcast, and like me and Nathan can like put the worlds to right on basically why things need to change in higher ed and like the kind of fear that's associated with that. So yeah, it just sort of aligns. Like, cause what's going on with Prospectus Plus? Because that seemed like almost controversial this whole idea yeah, that the perspective yeah and I, I still change. have those sorts of conversations um but uh, you know it's it's a different conversation to what it was only a couple of years ago i think when when we kind of started it we were we always thought that print would be our biggest competitor and actually shockingly now it's 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 not it, it's probably the pdf is our biggest competitor these days uh, which i'm not sure is better or worse to be quite frank a big part of why we've done what we've done is if you flick through a prospectus, you are navigating 99% of uh, irrelevant information and you're looking for that one one page that's right for you. And that actually extends much further then because it's about all of the information. How How is this information going to be relevant to you as, as a person, whether that's, you know, you're an international student and you need the international information rather than the home information. Even websites, university websites have become a, a problematic now because they treat the audience as an audience. Personalization is just so rare to find in university websites. It's, it's hard. I, I get it. Um, and so we've made personalization a big part of what we do. And, um, I think that really speaks to a lot of the stuff that, that I was reading from, from Ruth, you know, um, about talking to somebody as a person and understanding them as a person and providing the information that is right for that person. When it comes down to it, it it's a real 
basic expectation that you want to be spoken to directly, not as part of this broader group of people. You just don't feel as special. And you know what? It's like standing in a crowd, isn't it? The personalization and you're in a crowd. If you tried just to shout or you or you to a crowd of people that had their back to you, yeah. they just would ignore you. And that's essentially what's happening. With, if you don't segment, you're just shouting or you at everyone hoping someone's going to turn around. If you want someone to turn around, you call their name. They'll turn. Um, and it's exactly the same. Most higher ed marketing campaigns <laughs> when you get to clearing it is it's just oh, you anyone which I'm sure you'll speak to far better Ruth that kind of why ignoring behavior change is so risky because yes you know university degrees pretty much typically an undergrad is you know a three-year degree and a lot of students will move away but what you're competing with increasingly are things like businesses and brands putting on short courses mr b said that course over in the state this thing you can access online and i think if you ignore your behaviors and what else is going on in the world of young people or your target audience and you know how people might be looking at an arts degree versus a med degree like it's really naive because you're gonna miss out on not just like the opportunity for someone coming but the ways to market that and the ways to engage an audience. Yeah, no, you're so right. The risk from a behaviour change perspective is really that you're out of context. So you're just like yelling yeah. at people because when we talk about behaviour change, context is everything. So it really comes into talking to people if they're from a lower socioeconomic background. If you're like committed to improving standards, getting everyone in, but then you're talking um, as though everyone has got you know, the funds to attend, then you're missing a whole group of people. And essentially a massive risk has got to be the widening of inequality in education, which I'm pretty sure would be a value that no university at its core wants to be, you know, widening. And somewhere, somewhere in their corporate literature, they're like, we're committed to this, we're committed to that. And if you haven't taken time to understand people then you are going to widen. It's not even debatable because media is so fragmented now. You've got to adjust and can put the media out the way the young people consume it or the way the young adults expect to have that conversation. And exactly like you said, the context is you're in competition now. You're in competition with Mr. Beast and, you know, short courses, apprentices. So that business context has got to be really... Uh, it's really critical. And in a business sector, you would be looking at that. You would be looking at your competition. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really high risk simply not to understand people because at the end of the day, your problems change. Although in higher ed, you know, you have got that circular going round and round. Um, but people stay the same, get this learning in. And it's such an investment for long-term. Yeah, huge risk to not look at the behaviour of the people that you're talking to. Nathan, do you feel like the Prospectus Plus, is it kind of like a blockbusters Netflix kind of moment? It's a really tough one. There's there's people in different camps with this. When it, You know, the universities that I speak to, you've got on one end of the scale, some universities that are basically saying you will never prize the printed prospectus out of my hands there's there's others that are really bold and um and perhaps 
brave and listening to their users. And um, some of them have big sustainability uh, agendas and they're going all in on, on digital. And then you've got the kind of mid ground, which is either people that are a bit like, ooh, not quite sure how I feel about this. Or um, the, the other side of that coin, I think, is uh, about offering choice. I, I don't necessarily think that um, this is about like print or digital or fight to the death. It's about choice and options for users um, in the same way that you would likely provide like braille copies of a prospectus. I don't understand why having a digital copy means that you can't have print, but it might. It, I think we're in a day and an age where digital leads and print follows, but a lot of universities have historically been the other way around, which is a little bit bizarre when you look at the brands that people interact with. Um, and what's so refreshing about your angle here around behavioral science is people in marketing at universities, they, they, they love to kind of understand why they're doing what they're doing. And the behavioral science aspect of this is, is so interesting and it gives so much insight into it. I mean, universities are, they, they love a persona. Uh, they love to write out a persona and not, not always do they work. Whereas actually, if you get the crux uh, of it with this, the behavioral science stuff, it kind of, it makes sense of everything, I think. I think it's a balance, isn't it? Because personas are only as good as your kind of understanding of your audience. So stop doing your mark-ons to suit your vice chancellors and leadership team because they're not your target audience. Mm, gosh, and yeah. equally, stop doing your marketing as an exercise for your own marketing team and use that kind of mm -hmm. to kind of shape what you're doing. And behaviour science gives that. And you know, don't get me wrong, like, some, you know, sometimes I think youth marketing can be seen as like, they're terrifying alien group of, you know, young people, and you'll never, it's so fast paced. And, and it is in the sense of things change, but it's not in the sense of, like Ruth said, people and the way our brains are wired don't change. So having those fundamental understandings about behavior change marketing, layered with actual data for your audience is kind of like, well, that that's obvious, it's fact, and it will help, rather than this kind of like, guessing what a persona might be. Yeah, that's why in the training, we really focus in on the actual insight and understanding the people rather than the tactics that because you once you, you know, there's such a range of marketing and digital tactics we all need to know and keep abreast of. But if you jump to that without understanding your audience, then you can get lost and you will get lost in the content hamster wheel and, um, you know, essentially you're sailing without a sail, an anchor or anything. <laughs> I'm really curious about the workshop that, that you're putting on. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so we've been, we're, we're following the bootcamp structure. It bootcamp's been running for about four years now. Um, and we've got a really tried and tested way of learning behavioral science in a day. So it will kickstart your understanding of behavioral science, but it's not just behavioral science either. It's called behavior change marketing because we bring in design thinking, social marketing. This is taking the 
the best from the disciplines and actually practicing how to use it and how it's relevant to your work. So we have four workshops in the day. Each workshop builds on each other. And in the morning, it's very much about empathizing and diagnosing challenges. So we really say, bring your work challenge. This is not escaping out of the office for the day. It's actually a day where you get stuff done. You can bring something, a project you're working on or a campaign, and we'll explore it in every workshop. So by the end of the day, you will have gone through the stages of behavior change. So you've got a real plan of action. So in the first two, um, it's very much we, we nail behavioral science. We do behavioral science 101 in the morning just to wake everyone up. And that's brilliant because you see every, all the light bulbs going. And then, um, the second one, um, is very much going to be led by Rebecca and it's going to be details on youth trends and some empathy mapping with generation alpha. Um, and then in the afternoon, we're moving on to designing and content using behavioral biases. So a bit more tactical and the bit everyone really loves doing. Um, as well. So, and so it's a really busy, fast paced day. Why I wanted to do it so much is when I, when we spoke on the podcast, um, like I was being a proper geek really about it because I just found it so interesting. And I ordered about a million books when I heard Ruth speak. And I was like, gosh, in, in like higher ed, it's just like the, that ever changing. You know what I feel like sometimes in higher ed, you know, the film Elf and they have like a great Christmas and Santa comes in the workshop and they're like, brilliant, wasn't it amazing? Like, yay. And then before it's even night, they're like, let's get ready for next year. That's how it feels. You're on this like like cycle of like, and the next year and the next one. And you're forgiven in some things because things don't change like that dramatically year on year, but it's hard to get your head up to look, right, what's coming? with generation mm. alpha in particular and and it's not this like oh my god they're so different but their experience is different and look i do 10 reports mm. each year i'm also doing a really interesting piece of research the cipr on gen z uh, news media habits and it's fascinating around you know um gen z but increasingly alphas don't have that media relationship that other generations have had so how can you engage with this audience earlier how can you kind of forecast a little bit of that in your work and not to be like oh my god we're gonna have to do a different type of tiktok like it's not about that it's about context but just the context trends that i will bring to it around like you know half of students last year cut back on their food like these are basic things to think about students are working more than ever like there was a rise there was a study last week um, over 30,000 students turned to sex work in the past year, like in the UK in 2023. Like there's some shocking stuff out there. And I think it's having that, that kind of like landscape picture around like the different types of students that you're going to be trying to engage with and their experiences. I just want to shortcut that and share share that. And then the Generation Alpha stuff I'm really looking forward to because, um, yeah, that would be great. So true, a lot of that stuff. Like um, we... We talk a lot about sustainability as part of Prospectus Plus. You know, going going digital affords you some some great kind of opportunities in that sense. And a lot of the research that we looked at showed that the incoming cohort of students, we, uh, there's this thing where you know. I think every new generation cares more about the environment than the generation before them. I think that is a, a thing generally, um, but the the incoming cohort of students, they like to align themselves with brands that are sustainably and ethically conscious. 
um, and they can spot greenwashing a mile away and all these sorts of things. And you're right that once you're in that cycle, if you're not careful, five, six years have passed and you've just been doing the same thing. Uh, and I guess uh, we are seeing change with prospectuses, but for there's I do a presentation at conferences and I pick on one university and because there's the only one I could find an archive of prospectuses. I think I went back as far as 1973 before I kind of bottomed out and they they've print they've basically printed the same rectangle of dead tree for like 20 30 35 years it's just it's it's crazy you know and and a few few people have challenged that along the way but um yeah perhaps sometimes we just get so stuck in those loops that we don't think to challenge ourselves and ask the tough questions which is what 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 do people need now? Yeah, 100%. And what information do they actually want? Where do you fit in in their world? And that goes back to all these other contextual factors, you know, COVID, cost of living, and all those pressures. Like, where do you fit in for that as a higher ed institution? So, yeah, there's a lot to think about. Parents are huge in the, the influence chain, if you like. And, um, a lot of people historically have talked about the coffee table experience of a prospectus. Like, you know, you have something that you apparently you would go home and put down on your coffee table and the whole family would come together around the prospectus and there would be songs of joy. Now things are different, I think. And with a digital prospectus, because what we're doing is we're personalizing all the information, packaging it together. So a young person can go through and create what is going to be their experience of university, you know, their campuses, their courses, and then um, they can share their personalized package with their parents and kind of say, you know, WhatsApp it over to mom and dad and be like, hey, this is where I'm thinking of going. This is what I want to do with, with the next three years of my life. What do you think? So the two things that stood out for me as like absolute landmarks in this is the Argos catalog built its brand around a printed catalog and it's but it stopped it stopped printing them now like you, you you don't get them and the the one that really works as a as a great piece here is ikea so um ikea here's a here's an interesting stat for you ikea printed a catalog for 70 years at one point in history of its 70 year print run it printed more catalogs than the bible that's how big the IKEA catalog was at one point in history. And after 70 years, their MD went, customer behaviors have changed. They, they don't do that anymore. And IKEA is so important as a, as an example for myself because IKEA isn't just a brand for young people. IKEA is a brand designed for all people of all ages. And I think for them, as a global brand to go, you know what? People operate in digital first landscapes mm. these days. That's massive. So Nathan, the cognitive bias, I think that is really important for you is the endowment effect. Oh, tell me, what, what does that mean? Because you reminded me, because we use IKEA as our example in the endowment effect, because they're one of the kings of applying behavioral science to their strategy. So when you said that, and then I thought with the personalization, um, it's when you're building something, but you part build it. So um, 
a bit like the IKEA effect. There is an actual cognitive bias called the IKEA effect. You know, when you, so it's so personalized that you feel an attachment to it. No way. So that's called the endowment effect. And it makes people much more likely to take the next step or buy or carry on the journey with you if they somehow have to enter their information or choose something. Um, you're triggering what they call the endowment effect. It's so interesting, this is, because my instant gut reaction here is like, oh, amazing. I, I've got loads of stuff I can add to my marketing here. Like, I, I need to go away and update stuff. Like, oh, I knew there was a reason that we did it the way that we did it. And uh, I, I can I can imagine so many people in HE and FE having that same kind of light bulb moment uh, um, and kind of going away and going, oh, that's really great that's that's actionable i need to go and do this but um yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking up the endowment effect a bit more that's that's amazing thank you very much do you, do you know what i loved about it that i think having been in-house at, at a university but also working with around dozens since i set up thread and fable is that this is stuff that will help back your approach when you've got a vice chancellor going why aren't you talking about this because you're like do you know what this space in fact it's not feng shui it's not like which color i prefer it is like fact and i think that will really help and yeah and i think in terms of that future proofing it's about just having that eye down the road when you're when you're in elf mode in higher ed and you're thinking about that next cycle it is really useful to think about well what's coming up how can we put our heads up a little bit and just future proof what we're doing i think that goes to prospectus plus massively because whether you're all one or all the other, or you're looking at that hybrid model, you have to be continually looking at what what is coming and how you can improve processes. Because otherwise, like you're going to be out of date pretty quickly. Yeah, and there's a lot in behavioural science about often we're trying to communicate to people who haven't done the behaviour we want them to do, which is exactly this, isn't it? They've never been there before. They've never had to make a really big life changing decision and so many other micro decisions involved in that. So how can we use behavioural science to actually visualise and get them to step into the person that they're trying to be in order to make the decision? And there's loads of little techniques and tips that are really easy to use. And that's probably one of the other things. I don't know if you found this, Rebecca, but the deeper you dive into the behavioral science, the more you realize all of this knowledge, once you've got it, you can apply immediately, you can apply and it's free. You know, it's as much about a mindset shift and a strategy shift. It's not about going out and spending lots of money on big behavioral science campaigns at all. Also, the point about getting buy-in is so spot on. It's the biggest challenge, actually. For I speak to marketing departments that are desperate to do something new and, and to, you know, oh, let's go digital. That's that's a great idea. But their biggest challenge, it's it's not finance. It's not the, the, that they've got the capacity to do it. It's that they need to convince people internally that it's the right thing to do. What intrigues me the most here, I think, is that it it gives you the facts, it gives you the the data to kind of work with. And like you say, go back to a senior leader and say, this, this, this is why we're doing it. It is about having like a, a proper approach based on data, but I think having a, a robust model behind you and say, you know, we've done empathy. Empathy ma- mapping is fantastic. And mainly, Ruth, and you can explain it much better than me, is because it is relatively simple to understand, but it seems so flipping obvious. Yeah, I mean, and teaching everyone how to do empathy mapping really well with the vice chancellors or with the barriers, whoever's blocking them is a real skill. 
Um, yeah, and it's so simple once you get your head around it. And it will uncover different barriers that you never really thought of that perhaps have been staring you in the face um, that your um, people are bringing to the table. It should provoke discussion, disagreement, and a lot of uncomfortable feeling if when done well, because we talk about an assumption bucket. Um, if any of your stakeholders are using the word should, they should be doing this, they should be doing that. It's like red alarm bells. But how do you manage that conversation so you shift their beliefs, so you'll start shifting them rather than just saying, no, that's rubbish. Are you joking? Have you been on a mobile phone lately type thing? So it teaches you that. And it's a, a fantastic, um, really easy thing to do within in-house in order to push people. And it's actually a design thinking tool. But what we've done is we've merged behavioral science and the empathy mapping together into one tool. Um, so when you when you've done it, you get also get stuff for your marketing campaign, which is brilliant. It kind of feels like this is a um, this is a, a tool that everybody in the education sector could really take advantage of. You know, whether whether you're kind of new to the sector, you're in kind of like a marketing officer position, or whether you're at the higher ranks, uh, maybe at manager or director level, everybody could take advantage of the the things that you're talking about there. It seems so obvious when you talk about it that um, I'm surprised it's not more prevalent in in conversations. When are your workshops? Uh, so we've got one on the 29th of February. We've got an early bird offer for people to book in on that. So that ends the 12th of Jan, 2024. We thought we'd just give people Christmas uh, to get through because we know a lot of training decisions sort of get mulled over. And then we'll see how it goes because we thought we've only got 25 spots. It's limited places just to ensure real quality learning. We've got five spots for team training before the end of March. If you come to the boot camp day, up to five staff works well. But if you're looking at six or more, get in touch with us and we can shape the whole day, but make it bespoke to your team, which is brilliant for getting everyone on the same page. It can save weeks. It can really accelerate your strategy. And your, in answer to your question, Nathan, any time for team training that suits you, but the the boot camp live where we will have people from across the country all come and join. And that's on the 29th of Feb. Um, and where can I find out more? So it's www.behaviorchange.marketing forward slash F-E-H-E. Thanks for listening to the Hear It podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe as it really helps others find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at Hear It Podcast or drop us a message by emailing info at threadandfable.com.